Chuck Smeaton from the Royal Institution of Australia, and this is the Cosmos Briefing Podcast. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the Ghana people, traditional owners of the land where I speak to you from today, and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Today, Cosmos journalist Ellen Fidian reads a story that ran in Cosmos Weekly. It looks at placebos. Right now, honest placebo pills are on the market, but does the science support them? You can find the link to the story in the description, as well as links to the two studies that the article hinges on. The website, Fazebo Relief Tablets, reads like any other suspiciously vague alternative health treatment. Help you tap into the power of your mind and body, the site enthuses. The pills have been used in published clinical trials. It's always used with these things, not shown to be effective, for chronic pain, stress and performance. They apparently allow you to design your own experience and focus on concentration, power, clarity, calm and symptom relief. But there's one key difference between Zebo and homeopathy that merits at least some attention, if not respect. Zebo is upfront that their pills have no medical effect. They're honest placebo pills. You are the active ingredient, the site insists. The idea is that you take the pill, knowing it will do nothing, but through the psychology or biology or possibly magic of the placebo effect, your symptoms ease. The pills are currently $20 US a bottle, that's about $27 Australian, plus shipping. The price fluctuates. Placebos play a crucial role in clinical trials. Without placebos, it's difficult to differentiate between the effects of the medication you're testing and the effects of simply being in the trial, whether positive or negative. But clinical trials have never been the only home for placebos. We know that people who believe they're receiving a medical treatment will often get better anyway, and there are examples across the past several centuries of people trying to turn this into its own genuine medical treatment. This interest has intensified in the past decade. A 2010 Cochrane review found that while placebos weren't effective in most cases, they were modestly good at reducing pain and nausea. Since then, studies have sprouted up advocating for placebo use particularly with chronic pain, but also with other conditions. These studies, most of which are small and none of which are definitive, concern Professor Chris Ma of the University of Sydney's School of Public Health. In the last two or three years, he says he's been reading a lot of commentaries and editorials where people are overhyping the research and suggesting very strongly that clinicians should be using placebos in clinical care, which seems to him like a really unwise step. Ma is the lead author on a recent perspective in the Medical Journal of Australia, cautioning against absorbing any of these studies too enthusiastically. The proven effects of placebos were modest, the paper argued, and the trials that showed the most promising results were nearly all small in size and curious in method. What characterises most of the research is that it's poor quality, says Ma. For example, there's a common belief that the colour of the placebo capsule influences the effect. People think that a red-coloured pill works better than white. But when you go back and look at the research, the people who were involved didn't actually take the pill. They just lined up pills on a table and then asked people without a health problem, which of these pills do you think is the most powerful? 
Other studies on open-label placebos have yielded even more theoretically promising effects. One, on lower back pain, prescribed an open-label placebo for three weeks and then claimed that participants felt benefits after five years. The way they achieved that was to throw away the control group data, and most clinical trials would just look at that and say, that's just crazy, why would you do that, says Maha. There's no analgesic that you would take for three weeks for chronic lower back pain, and five years later you would claim an effect. Ma says that in placebo research, particularly in open placebo research, there are two things happening. There's some people who are following the usual rules of science and fairly summarising things. And there's another group of people who seem to be intent on trying to make the placebos mysterious and powerful. He thinks this is particularly concerning because placebo prescription may be on the rise among Australian healthcare workers. A 2019 paper in the Australian Journal of General Practice found that 39% of Australian GPs had given an inert placebo to patients at least once, and 77% had used an active placebo, a medication that worked but didn't treat the condition patients had, for instance, prescribing antibiotics for viral infections. Professor Mark Morgan, who both teaches students and works as a GP, as well as being chair of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners Expert Committee for Quality Care, is less alarmed by this statistic. For one, it's a small study. There were only 136 respondents to the survey used in the study. For another, some of the terminology in the survey was vague. Some of the things that were described as placebos, depending on how they were used, wouldn't be placebos. They would be mild treatments, says Morgan. One example is saline spray, described as a placebo in the study. When you say to someone, this is a saltwater spray to make it easier for your nose to be cleared, Morgan says he wouldn't say that was a placebo. It's not going to cure anything, but it might help with symptoms if used. Morgan does say that by prescribing genuinely useless placebos without telling the patient they're useless is a major breach of trust. He thinks the concern with prescribing or using a treatment in the knowledge that that treatment does nothing for the person is that you are actually breaching some trust. The person's trust is fragile, but it's also really valuable and necessary for future treatment and the confidence the person has and the medical advice they might be getting. The study also treads on another major issue for GPs. 40% of the placebo prescribers said that their patient expected or requested a treatment. Morgan says that that's again not really a placebo use. It's bowing to pressure and expectations, which he thinks is overcome from really good conversations. To what extent should a GP respond to a request for treatment if they know that that treatment is unlikely to benefit the patient? Morgan thinks that that comes down to that adult-to-adult conversation and ultimately shared decision-making. You explain from the patient's perspective what the potential harms and costs to that patient will be compared to the potential benefits. That's a conversation GPs have every day about antibiotics for coughs and colds and sinus congestion. Both Marr and Morgan agree that there is some merit to the placebo effect in specific situations, but it shouldn't be a substitute for medical care. Morgan thinks there's still some research to be done on the extent to which people's expectations of the treatment affect the outcome of that treatment. He suspects the answer is a little, but not as dramatically as some people think. Ma says that something about the therapeutic ritual does influence treatment effects, so maybe it's something to do with the clinician being empathic, the clinician being reassuring. 
If we actually define all those other things that are in the very rich clinical environment and then measure them and see whether there are associated effects, that could be a useful thing to do. But when we're still stuck at the stage of it's all about the red pill, he says, I guess it's pretty simplistic to me. In short, spend that $20 US plus shipping on something more tangible. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. Remember that you can head to cosmosmagazine.com via the link in the description for more great content. You can also subscribe to Cosmos Magazine, Australia's only science print magazine, and Cosmos Weekly, with its unique approach to how science, news and the economy intersect. Podcast listeners can get both products at a special price using the coupon code that you'll also find in the description. And of course, you can watch and listen to all our Cosmos briefings via the link in the description too. And remember, if you support science and its communication, please support our work at the Royal Institution of Australia. I'm Chuck Smeaton, and today's story was read by Ellen Fidian. Thank you. Thank you.